Hi, everybody. You want to get your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to be looking at this text in a few minutes. I send greetings to you from our Canadian churches, the Great Commission Collective, um, from, I, will, I won't say from sea to sea yet, but we're, we're kind of working at it. So we've got uh, churches in BC and Alberta and Ontario, and uh, that's continuing to expand. We were just talking to churches in different places as, uh, you know, almost every day. So um, continue to pray for us. But I just want you to know you're part of a, a larger family, and uh, we love you very much. We pray for you. From time to time, we're glad to see you in a new facility, how the Lord has provided that opportunity, Um, you know, just praying with Ray about that and talking to Kevin about that and just talking about, you know, like, what are we going to do next? What are we going to do next? Well, here you are. This is what we're doing next, right? And who knows what will happen after this time, but we're just so thankful to the Lord for how he's providing here. And I also want to send, bring greetings to you from Hope Oakville as well. So the elders at Hope Oakville who are coming alongside Kevin and Ray and just encouraging them and providing leadership and wisdom to them. And we are so, so grateful for you. You are, all of you, all of you are answers to prayer. Okay, I don't know if you know, I don't know if you ever think about that yourself like that, but there have been many people who have prayed for you over the years. Right, so I don't know, probably for seven, eight years, you know, kind of idea, just praying and crying out to God for this church, and you are the answers to the prayers of many, many faithful people in the Oakville area and beyond. So I I hope you feel blessed by that and encouraged by that. I want you to know that you are not alone. Okay, you are not alone. There are churches in our country and Hope Oakville that really Really love you very much. So before we dive into God's word, I would really love to pray. Okay, so can we pray together, please? Father, I I was just struck again reading Psalm 25 about how you require of us humility and how when we humble ourselves, that's when you do your work. And so, Lord, we are about to open God's word and read a very important text of Scripture. And, Lord, as we do that, we want right now, we want to place our hearts wide open to you. We humble ourselves before you, knowing that the words we're about to read are your words to us. So we place ourselves underneath the authority of God's word. We place ourselves in a position where we are fully dependent on the Spirit of God who promises to take the Word of God and speak and penetrate right into our heart, our, 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 our soul. So, Lord, I pray, I pray for us. If, if there's someone here tonight that's not sure whether they want to humble themselves like that, Lord, I pray that you would gift them with the ability to do that. Move them in their hearts so that they're ready to receive. Those of us that are ready to receive me, we anticipate and expect what the Spirit of God is going to do in us. So, Lord, please do that, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I love promises. Um, I'm sure you all love promises. Um, They're very powerful. I remember as a child, um, 
Oh, Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, thank you. I'm slow to I'm slow to see that. So anyone not have a Bible, you need a Bible, we have Bibles for you. Just put your hand up and we'll be glad to supply that to you. There you go. As I was saying, I love promises. When I was a child, uh, nothing can motivate me more than a promise that my parents would make towards me. I can remember times when my dad would say, hey, if you're good today, I'll let you watch the second period of the hockey game. You know, it's like you're kind of elevating past, past the first intermission, getting into the second period. And I thought, wow, like that's a, what a motivator for me. I mean, promises can be super powerful. Or maybe, you, maybe a father says to his son, when you get home, I'll play basketball with you in the driveway. And it just fills you up with a sense of expectation and anticipation. We love promises that are given to us. They're amazing motivators. But we also cherish a promise that is kept. Not only do we love promises that are given, we cherish promises that are kept. Now the reality for all of us in this room is that there are times when we struggle to keep our promises. True? Yeah. Yeah, the kids are saying, yeah, yeah, yes. There are times when we struggle to keep our promises, but not so with Jesus. Not so with Jesus. He not only gives promises, but he keeps his promises. He keeps them. And tonight, we're going to examine one of Jesus' promises. We're, in the, in, we're at the end of our Discover Hope series, and we're looking at one of Jesus' amazing promises related to the idea, and we're talking about this, this month, that by the Spirit, and in this case, by the Spirit, we plant churches, and that's built on Jesus' promise in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And you can put that up on the screen now, where he says, I will build my church. Right? There's power in that promise. There's power in that promise, not because Jesus just gave the promise, but because he's keeping his promise. He promises to build his church. You just look at the content. Let's look at that, the breakdown of that statement. I will build my church. Jesus says, I am going to do that. And so in other words, he's the one that's doing the building. Nobody else builds the church. We don't build the church. Okay? It's not, not up to us to build the church. Ultimately, it's up to Jesus to build the church. He promises to build his church. He says, I will do that. He says, I, I will do that. So that means it has been happening, and it is happening, and it will continue to happen. I will do that. And sometimes, you know, in North America, we kind of wonder, like, is Jesus really building his church? Because there's not... You know, when you think about Canada in particular, you know, when you look around, you go, wow, like, there's, like, there's just not a lot of, like, church. It seems sometimes very scarce. We see churches that stop. We see churches that, teachers that stopped, and some that start. Churches are closing all around us, in some places, at quite a rapid speed. And then we hear stories about scandal, you know, where 
um, church, their church leadership challenges, moral failure or abuse of power and people leaving the church. We hear stories about millennials that, aren't, that are leaving the church and I have no idea what Generation Y is doing or, or, or what the alpha generation will end up doing. I have no idea, but we hear these stories, these stories. We think about the secularization of our culture where they're where the message of the gospel is being watered down and the authority of God's word in many churches is, is lost. There's very few churches that would have prayed at the beginning of this message the, the way we prayed tonight in Canada. And then add on to that, there's even the increasing threat of persecution, you know, like it's not all that comfortable being a Christian in the public sphere. Now, there used to be a time when you could just talk to somebody about God. You could talk to somebody about Jesus. And, and we continue to need to do that, and we want to do that, but it's not as easy as it used to be. So you have all these things rolled together. And so you could, you could think, if, as you, if you're focusing in on North America, focusing in on Canada, and you see maybe a weakness or maybe even a scarcity, but then you stop and you ask yourself questions. Is Jesus really still building his church? Well, he's building it here, but he's also building it other places. Like in Iran, where there's a, a massive movement of the Spirit of God taking place and people are, are, are being converted, they're coming to Jesus. Or in China, where the Chinese church that's underground continues to grow, or in South America, where there is like, it's like, I was talking to somebody the other day, they said, we have, we have so many people that actually want to go into ministry, we just, we just, there aren't that many opportunities left. It's because the Spirit of God is pouring himself out on, in different countries and different places, and you go, wow, is that really happening? Yes, because Jesus promises, and he keeps his promise, I will build my church. Do you believe that? He says, I will. I will build it. It's my church, he says. Not our church, but Jesus' church. It's his church made up of the people that he died for and have expressed faith in Jesus Christ. It's made up of called out ones. It's not about church buildings, but it's about the people of God. It's about Jesus' disciples. It's about the children of God. It's about those who have been adopted into the family of God. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. He says, you yourselves are building, being built up as a spiritual house to be a royal priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Jesus has made this promise. I will build my church, and Jesus keeps his promise. How does Jesus build his church? How is he doing? Now, Hope Ottawa, I want to remind you tonight, those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, you are part of this promise that Jesus has made and has kept. You are part of his church. But how does he build his church? 
This is how he does it. He builds his church through his church. Look at the text, Matthew chapter 16. We're looking to read verses 13 through 20 tonight, okay? <coughs> Excuse me. Matthew 16, 13 to 20. It says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So here he is, Jesus making his promise. We know he keeps his promise. The question is, how is he building his church? The first way we see this in this text is this way. How does he build his church? He builds his church on a foundational confession. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. He asks this question of his disciples in verses 13 and 14. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? In other words, you know, what are people, what are people saying about me? And so the answers that he gets are, well, some people think you're like, you're like John the Baptist. That's why kind of like Herod thought that. Uh, so other people think you're like Eli- you're Elijah, like that, that, that Elijah would appear you know, before the Messiah. Maybe that's who you are. And others say Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. Um, good things, not neg- they're not saying overly negative things about Jesus. They're saying good things about Jesus, but they do not capture the essence of who Jesus is. And so when you think about today and you ask yourself the same, maybe Jesus could ask the exact same question of today. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? What do people think about Jesus? Our washing machine stopped spinning this week. And I have like zero, zero, zero maintenance ability. Okay, none whatsoever and so Brenda said, well, what should we do? I said, I, I don't know. Do you want to wash things at home or do you want to wash them somewhere else? She says, I want to wash them at home. So I said, I guess we should call our repair person. So we called the repair person. And, and um, you know, we've been praying, like, uh, quite a bit about the opportunity to share the gospel with our neighbors. And we've had some glimpses in that. And we're building relationships with them. And it's been pretty cool what God's doing there, but but uh, you know we we prayed that the morning like before the prepare man came and just said you know Lord give us some opportunities with our neighbors you know to share the gospel and then the repair man showed up and um, it turned out that he was an Orthodox Jew. I was not at home. Brenda was uh, Brenda was there and Brenda was like going, 
oh, wow, like this is like, this has got to be from God. And so she starts having this conversation with this Orthodox Jewish man. I don't know a lot of Orthodox Jewish people. I mean, but clearly there's some that live in right close to us. And he, uh, so she said, well, where they started this conversation, and she, he said, hey, you know, I attend a synagogue. She said, oh, that's really interesting. So she just asked him a question. Said, well, who do you think Jesus is? And this is how he said it. He said, well, he was a heretic. Because Orthodox Jews don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They believe, they believe that he did live, but they believe that he actually was a heretic, like anti-God. Tomorrow, I will probably more than likely take an Uber from the airport back to my house. And um, more than likely, the driver in my Uber will be a, a, a Muslim man because that's seemed like nine out of ten times where I'm dealing with. Uh, and we started a conversation with the man, and he'll be Muslim. And he's going to tell me, I'm going to ask him this question Who do you think Jesus is? And he's going to say, well, he was a good man. He was a prophet of God. Not God, but, but and, and he didn't rise again. He died, but he didn't rise again. But, you know, he was, he was one of God's prophets, a good, you know, a good example to follow, someone to listen after. Like, there's all these things. Everybody has this different idea about who Jesus is. But Jesus, in verse 15, asks this question. He says, but... Who do you say that I am? And he asked that question of of his disciples to the whole group. And so I asked the same question. The text is asking us the exact same question tonight. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is he? Now, the answer to your question is really, really important. Your answer is the difference between eternal life and eternal death, separation from God. And our answer to that question as a church and as church leadership and what we believe is the difference in a church building on a strong foundation or a foundation full of sand. Peter's response in verse 16 is, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Not, you're not just another prophetic voice in the long line of the prophets. You're not just another good man, Jesus. You are the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, the one that the prophets had spoken of and pointed towards. You're the anointed one. You are the suffering servant mentioned in Isaiah chapter 53. You are the son of the living God. You are the one who is in eternal relationship with the Father, the one that the Father has loved for all of eternity. You're the son of the living God. In contrast to all the dead idols around us, you are the son of the living God, the one who acts and intervenes, the one who acted and intervened in the Red Sea and in the wilderness and the promised land through fire and cloud, the one who led his people, allowed them to go into exile and brought them back, the son of the living God. How does Jesus build his church? 
He builds his church on this foundational confession. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That's how the church is built. That's the foundation that's laid. I love how John records that. I'm, I'm always been fascinated with the book of the Revelation. Always been. I can't remember a day when I haven't been fascinated by the book of the Revelation. But I absolutely love how it begins. And he, John writes these words, records these words for us. Listen to, listen to what he says about Jesus. He is Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth. He's the one who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. He's made us a kingdom. We are priests to his God and Father. Let there be glory and dominion forever and ever to him. He's clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest like a king. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he holds the seven stars, that's the seven churches. From his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And he says this in verse 17 of chapter 1. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he, he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not because I am the first and the last. And the living one, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I had the keys of death and Hades. That's Jesus. The Christ, the son of the living God. And I love what Jesus says to Peter. He says in in chapter 16, verse 17, he says, Peter, only God could have revealed this to you. Only God. You see what he says in verse 17? Look at it, just just read it again. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. There, nobody else told, told there's, there's no, there's nobody, there's nobody alive that can make you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, except for God himself. Your mom and your dad can't, they, they can lead you towards the water, but they can't make you drink. There isn't a human teacher that can convince you of that. There's, it's, your own intellect will not lead you to believe in faith that Jesus Christ is, that he is indeed the Christ, the son of the living God. That's not going to happen. It's not going to, you, you are left to yourself. There's no way you will piece it all together. You can't do that. You can't trust in yourself to do that. Only the Father, the God in in heaven, he is the one who will reveal it to you. 
You can't come to this conclusion on your own. Only God can give you the ability to see truly who Jesus is and therefore allow you to place your faith in who Jesus is. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14 makes it very clear. The Apostle Paul says, we're blind. The Spirit of God has to remove the blindness for us to be able to experience this, to see this to be true. And so Jesus then makes this massive declaration in verse 18. You see it? He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I will build my church on this rock. You are Peter, on this rock I will build my church. You have this play on words, right? Peter, his word means, his name means rock, right? And then he's talking about this rock of the church. And so there's a play off on the words. And Peter is the first one to make this confession and declaration, but he will not be the last, right? Those of you who are followers of Jesus, Jesus Christ is the, he's the Christ, the son of the living God. You believe in that. You placed your faith in that. Just like Peter has made that statement, so you too are making that statement. It's on this confession of faith, who Jesus is, that Jesus promises to build his church. This is not about a papal line of authority. This is not in the context of this passage, nor is it in the context of Scripture. Peter is the first to make this profession. And all of us, disciples of Jesus Christ, follow in his footsteps in making that same profession. Jesus builds his church through his church when that church makes this foundational confession. Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. The true church is built on that. That's why we, we watched the video about the Nicene Creed, man. Like at that, you know, in the 300s, they had, these, they had these discussions and debates about who Jesus is. Why? Because it's the foundation of everything. Jesus doesn't build his church through strategies. He doesn't build his church through plans. He doesn't build his church through our dreams, even though we have all of those things. But he doesn't build his church on those things. Our hope is built on nothing else than Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you look around this room tonight, you need to understand this. This is not a man-made thing. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, right, it's kind of, it's, no person put this together. You and I did not like, hey, you know, like, let's think about this eight years ago and we'll just kind of, let's just pull some names and we'll just, you know, we'll get, we'll get all these people to come to the church because, yeah, you know, we can do that. No, we can't do that. Jesus Christ builds his church. You see that picture in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, when uh, the throne room of heaven, right? Let me read it. Let me read it to you. Actually, you know, I know we're not supposed to do this, but I, I, we're going to just bounce around a bit. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, 
standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What an awesome picture. Every nation, every people group, all tribes, peoples, and languages standing before the throne, before the Lamb. How did that happen? None of us here did that. Jesus did. Jesus did it. See, Jesus builds his church through his church when we, we, we place this as our foundation. This is our confessional foundation. We see that here in Matthew chapter 16. And then here's, here's the second thing we see. Jesus builds his church through our endurance. Look at verse 18. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And then he says this, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell or the gates of death will not prevail against it. In other words, nothing can stop the true church of Jesus Christ. The forces of death and hell cannot overcome or overpower the church. J.C. Ryle said it this way on the screen for you. He said, nothing can altogether overthrow and destroy the church. Its members might be persecuted, they might be oppressed, they might be imprisoned, they might be beaten or beheaded or even burned. But the true church is never altogether extinguished. It rises again from its afflictions. It lives on through fire and water. When crushed in one land, it springs up in another. The Pharaohs, the Herods, the Neros, they have labored in vain to put down this church. They slay their thousands, and then they pass away and go to their own place. The true church outlives them all and sees them buried each in his turn. The church is an anvil that has broken many a hammer in this world and will break many a hammer still. The church is a bush which is often burning and yet is not consumed. You see, Jesus made a promise. I will build my church, and Jesus keeps his promises. And it turns out that the way that he builds his church is through a foundational confession and then through our endurance. It's, it's mind-boggling to me over and over again how much God loves to use his church even to build his church. Nothing stops the church. It endures. It, it endures. It has to stand firm under attack over and over again. We're reminded of the spiritual warfare that we are under. Satan is attacking the church. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are in spiritual war. You say, well, I don't, really? Yeah, read Ephesians chapter 6, Revelation chapter 12. I don't know, I could, probably, I could go all night. Like there's just a lot of references to persecution. Do you know that Jesus actually told us that we would be persecuted for our faith? We're trying to, 
trying to hide, you know, let's get away from all that. I know, I understand it. I mean, it's not comfortable getting, you know, coming under persecution. But Jesus said, you will suffer. And so we, what's our response to that? We have to learn how to stand firm under the attack of the evil one. But not only stand firm under the attack of the evil one, we have to also learn how to stand firm on the mission that we have been given. At the end of this book in Matthew, the, book, the Gospel of Matthew, we have Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20 on the screen for you. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, by the way, that behold, by the way, behold there is, is an imperative, it's a command. You're supposed to behold. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus said in John chapter 20, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And here is the marching orders of being sent in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Because Jesus has all authority, he has been given the power Jesus, and, and because he promises to be present with us always to the end of the age. He says, I, I'm going to give you this directive in verse, in verse 19. He says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Now, I want you, I want you to pay attention to those words. I understand how we do it, by, for, but we do it by going, we do it by baptizing, we do it by teaching, I understand it. But I want you to understand what the call on us is as a church. The call on us as a church is to make disciples of all nations. I, 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 I'm going to give you a little bit of thinking, okay? If you really want to t- turn me batty, make me go crazy, Okay. If I were to ask you, what's the mission of the church? You say, well, the mission of the church is to make disciples. And then you forget of all nations. You've kind of missed a pretty important piece of the actual commandment that's been given to us. We are, we are called to go be on mission. And that mission is to make disciples of all nations. Now, when the disciples heard those words, I don't know if they fully comprehended i mean they understood that they if some of them if they had if they were steeped well enough in their old testament theology they would understand that that not only included jew but it also included gentile but i have no idea how much i'm sure they didn't have a strategy at all like i mean jesus just says you know kind of do it and then and so then jesus you know they're told they're supposed to go back to jerusalem before they're given that command in acts chapter 1 verse 8 it says this you see this on the on the screen for you, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then, of course, the book of Acts then becomes, in Acts chapter 1 through chapter 28, it becomes a record for us about how the Spirit took those same apostles and other people 
and pushed them out. And what did they do? They planted churches. They went from town to town and place to place and city to city, and they started planting churches. In other words, even though they may not have understood everything that Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, it got applied in their life in a certain direction. The idea of making disciples to all people groups, the ethnos, all people groups, was that they got sent on mission and they went from place to place. And as they went from place to place, they shared the gospel and established churches. That's what they did. A great example of this is the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 15. He writes to the church of Rome and he says, I'm, I'm going to go to Spain. That sounds kind of cool, you know. When I think about that, I think, wow, I'd really like to go there right now. You know, like, let's go to Spain. It just sounds so romantic. That's not what Paul meant when he said, I'm, I'm going to go to Spain. In fact, he says in Romans 15, 19, he says, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. He's been on this journey, this missionary journey. He's been establishing churches, and he says, okay, I'm done in that area now. I'm finished. My job's done. I'm going to move on. I want to go to Spain. I want to go to Spain now. He says in verse 20 of Romans 15, 20, he says, look, look what he says. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Right? I, I, my ambition is to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. That's why he wants to go to Spain. Because, in, because as far as he knows, in Spain, nobody's heard of the gospel before. And so he figures... I need to go there everywhere. You know, I've done my work here. I'm not, I don't think that, that he talked to everybody, every person who heard the gospel in the area he'd been, but he had done what he felt that he needed to do, and the Spirit of God was leading him on. Look at verse 23 of Romans 15. He says, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions. Can you believe that? Really? There's no more room? Right? As far as he's concerned, I, I'm done here. And since I have longed for many years to come to you, he then says this in verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. By his spirit, we plant churches. Jesus Christ builds his church through his church. And one of the ways that happens is, is by realizing that we're on mission. By his spirit, we plant churches. This is like a vital, essential part of the DNA of the church of Jesus Christ. <coughs> a lot of people, when they see the, see the thing that we, you know, we have strategic church planting as part of our, you know, the essence of who we are, our core values, or what do we call them here? Distinctives, sorry. I was going to say attributes, then I would have got it all wrong anyway. So distinctives, okay, one of our... Our key distinctive strategic church planning, we, we kind of think of that as an afterthought. It's not an afterthought. We are called on mission. See, Jesus builds his church through his church. And the Great Commission is about planting churches for all peoples, here, there, and everywhere. So, Let's think about that. Just, let's just stop for just a few minutes and think about that. So what does that mean for us? 
here? Well, I mean, you're all like in Ottawa, right? Well, not all of you. I met somebody from Gatineau and there's other people. So most of us are probably from this region anyways, in this area. We're in this region and area. So what does that mean for us? Well, what it should be meaning for us at least. And well, well, God is continuing to establish and build on his foundation here at this church. We should be in prayer asking God, is there, is there, some, is there another church that should be? And you're saying, well, we need another church in Ottawa? Yes, you do. I am telling you, like, flat out. I mean, I know there's some good churches in Ottawa. There are good churches in Ottawa, but there's not enough good churches in Ottawa. There's definitely not. Lots of, so, you know, it's not that we're saying, you know, this is going to happen tomorrow, but we need to be praying about that. Why do we need to be praying about that? Because we're on mission, right? We're on mission to reach the ethnos, and that means that, that, that there are people here. You know, I look across our auditorium, and it's reflected even in, in, in us, you know, and so we are called, we are called to reach the people with with the gospel. So I think of Ottawa. I think of Quebec. I mean, God has strategically placed you here. I mean, this week I, I prayed for, with, with a brother from Quebec. We were talking about Quebec and how to best reach Quebec. You know, and he was talking about, you know, in Montreal we've got like, there's francophone and there's anglophone and there's allophone. I learned a new, a new word, allophone. You know, I learned all that, all this thing, kind of understanding all what what that's all happening in that place. And I, th- I started thinking about it, and I'm going, man, you know, I got a I got a church that's right next door, man. We like we should be praying about that. What a mission field! What an opportunity that's there. Then I think about the world. You say, man, no, no, come on, man, you're, you're get, you're, this is too big. This is too big for me to think about. No, it's not too big for you to think about. Do you know, there's, there, this week they announced there's 8 billion people now in the world. And approximately 42 or 43% of those people really don't have a clue of who Jesus is. Like 3.4, 3.5 billion people in this world Muslim in the 1040 window, Muslim in Muslim-dominated countries and Hindu-dominated countries have no idea. Most of them haven't even heard the name of Jesus. They definitely have no concept of who Jesus really is. And they need to know about Jesus. Who's going to tell them? I play, as soon as those words come out of my mouth, I place myself exactly where you are. This is not about me preaching at you. This is about me and us asking that question, answering that question. If our mission as a church is to make disciples of all people groups, and 3.4 billion people have no idea who Jesus is, We should be praying, Lord, what do you want us to do? How can we be strategically engaged in that? See, Jesus builds his church through our endurance, right? We're on the defense. We, We stand firm under attack, but we also have a mission. 
even while we're under attack, we're still ongoing in our mission. Now, here's the third thing. Here's the third thing. He builds his church then through, not only through our endurance, but also through his message. Look at what it says in verse 19. He says, Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You say, what in the world's going on there? What are these keys? You know, I, 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 uh, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but I actually frequent hotels and stay places, preach in different churches and do things like that. And, um, you know, today I went, I went to the counter. When you arrive at the, you have to register, right? You register at the hotel room and they, they give you a key. And uh, I've never once asked them why they gave me that key. The reason why they give me the, why I'm actually thankful they give me the key is because then I can actually go up to my room and I can, you know, I just kind of put it up against the door. Those magical things now that you just put it up at the door and all of a sudden, and then the door it unlocks and it goes in and I get to walk into the room. It's quite, it's quite amazing, really. I'm speaking about somebody who's old enough to remember a time when you couldn't do that. So it's really quite amazing. This is a picture that Jesus is talking about. He's saying, he's saying, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. What? It's like you're a gatekeeper, right? You're, you're, you're a gatekeeper. What are the keys of the kingdom? Well, the keys of the kingdom is the good news about Jesus. That if rejected means you don't enter the kingdom, but if accepted, you're brought into the kingdom. On the screen, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I love that. It's by God's grace, through faith, not a result of what I've done. It's just a gift that God's given to me. It's not a result of my works, so that, so that no one may boast. That's... That's, what, that's the message that we, that we are given. And we are the steward of and the proclaimer of that message. The good news, the gospel. We've got nothing, do you understand this? We have nothing else to offer other than what Jesus has given to us. I, I have nothing more to say to you than the fact that this, that Jesus died for your sins. And that because of his grace and through faith, you can have new life in Christ. That's it. That's all I got. That's what we're called to do. We have nothing else than this. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, Apostle Paul says on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We've got no other message we don't preach self-help. We proclaim Jesus and new life in Christ, period. That's it. That's it. He builds his church through his message. And we are the stewards of the proclamation of that message. The key to the kingdom. 
So you say, okay, all right, so I got it. That's, that's what we worked our way through the text. These, this is how Jesus builds this church. What difference does that make, um, make for your life? You're kind of thinking, well, like, well, well, what difference does that make for my life? Well, let me just suggest to you three things. First thing is this. You've got to be clear on who you believe Jesus is. Be really, really clear. Be honest tonight. Ask yourself, who is Jesus to you? Right? We're, we don't need a watered-down Jesus. Don't step away from the majesty and the power of Jesus Christ. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Don't walk away from that. I, I, we, don't need, we don't need to be thinking about Jesus as a make-me-feel-good Jesus. Do I, believe, do I believe that Jesus will meet your heart needs? I absolutely believe that with everything that I have. But that Jesus is not like a, a genie, or he's not like somebody who's, who exists just to make you feel better. That's not, that's not who he is. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's our Savior. He's Lord over all. That's where the power of this church resides. He's the chief cornerstone. Don't get your spiritual eyes off of who he really is. You have to stay focused on that. Be clear on who you believe Jesus is. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then this, be firm in your commitment and your confidence in what Jesus is actually doing through his church. Stand firm under attack. It's not going to get easier. It's, I, I honestly, I really do believe this. It is not going to get easier for followers of Jesus Christ. It is not going to get easier. I know you long to go back some of you, and you want it, you want it to be a certain way, it, it's, I think that ship has sailed. And it's going to get very difficult to stand for the truth and to stand up for Jesus Christ, and that's exactly what we need to do. But remember, nothing stops this church. You need to stand firm on mission. How is God sending you? Remember Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you? It's not like you're saying, well, I mean, I don't think Jesus is sending me. Well, I'm sorry. He said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. It's not necessary. The question isn't whether you're being sent. The question is where you're being sent. Most of us, it'll mean that we're here. Some of you... All of us, all of us should be praying and asking the Lord, Lord, where is it you want us to go? Some of you, it might, it, it might mean a change of address, change of vocation. Who knows? The Lord does. But we need to be open to those things. We need to stand firm. We need to ask us as a church together, Lord, how are you leading us collectively in this region and beyond? And also as individuals, we should be asking the same question. And then number three, this is this, be bold. 
be bold. I know, we, I know you've had a sermon on this already, but declare the gospel. Be bold. Be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Be proclaimers for Jesus and his gospel. Because this is how Jesus builds his church. He actually, he actually builds his church through his church. A church that is firm on the confession, on that foundational confession feels called and understands that God's calling them on mission. And people who are just bold with the proclamation of the gospel. Oh, church, I, I, I just, please hear from us. Hear from me on behalf of so many people who have prayed for you for so many years. Don't forget the promise. Jesus keeps his promise. Okay, let's pray together. <coughs> Father, we pray to you right now, and I ask on behalf of all of us that your spirit would direct us in how we are supposed to respond to what we have just heard. Lord, I, you know, even this week as I've worked through the text, I've just been again reminded that that I am sent out, you know, and, and even, even I need to be on my knees asking you, Lord, where does you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Is this, is this it? Is there something else? Is it, Lord, how do you want to use me? So, Father, I, I pray for these young and old and in between that are part of this auditorium tonight. Lord, would you Direct us, direct us as to, as to how it is that you want us to spend our lives for your honor and for your glory. Father, I, I pray for this church, that this church would be built on the true confessional foundation, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The one who came here and and, and showed us and declared for us and died for us. He sacrificed himself for us. He took our place on the cross so that by your grace and through faith, we could experience relationship with God now and forever. Lord, we, we proclaim our belief in who Jesus is, knowing that he is awesome. He is majestic. He is powerful. He is everything that we need. And so we pray this with much faith tonight in Jesus' name.